The end of the year is a wonderful time to reflect. What's gone well for you this year? What hasn't? And what are your hopes and dreams for the new year? Hello and welcome to Also in Pink, the podcast all about lifestyle design, how we live, the clothes we choose, and how we organize our space. I'm your host, Alexandria Lawrence, a certified KonMari consultant and personal stylist. I'm here to guide you on your journey to live a happy, fulfilled life. Every Tuesday, you'll get new insight on what it means to live well, plus actionable tips. Redefine what's possible and create your ideal life. And now, to celebrate all my delightful guests, I'm doing a final roundup episode to wind up the year. You'll hear highlights from our conversations, and yes, there are certain themes that crop up, like storytelling and style. We discuss the importance of an audience, from writing novels to performing live on stage. Guests reflect on how the pandemic has provided an opportunity to slow down. And there are fitness tips to help you get 2021 off to a great start. How about some positive energy to start your day? Well, here's how entrepreneur April Thatch gets motivated. I'm unapologetically a lot of things. I I do something called a power statement when I first wake up. It's actually pretty cool. It's like a built-in huddle and like a hype session all, you know, wrapped into one. And I speak life into my day and I let worry, doubt and fear know that they have no place in my world. And I open my arms to peace and love and being unapologetically free. So I have this part that I am unapologetically black. I am unapologetically a woman. I am unapologetically unbothered. And do you see how my head's moving? Because that's what I do when I'm saying it. Like, I'm unapologetically unbothered. I am unapologetically free. That is what I do each day. I commit it to say it, even though sometimes I'm like, that's right. And other times I'm like, "Mm, (laughs) whatever. But I commit it to myself to say it. I can't speak highly enough about the impact that you have on the world that really starts with you. you We also talk about style and confidence and what it means to be unapologetically you. So April, I'm curious to learn a bit more about your personal style journey. And you come across as this radiant, vibrant, confident person. And I wonder, have you ever felt pressure to embrace a style that doesn't feel true to you and you know as a black woman living in america have you felt pressure to dress or look a certain way or style your hair in a certain way so first of all being a black woman of uh mm, the older i get the more abundant my assets become Uh, (laughs) (laughs) like the proverbial coke bottle hourglass shape so I have been blessed. I thought it was a curse when I was younger, but now I love it as I come into my feminine energy and, and have embraced that. I recently have gotten into statement tees and like sweatshirts and things. When I went and voted in our recent uh, US election here, presidential election, I wore good vibes and thick thighs. Like that's what my shirt said. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
And, and, and I offended a woman in my favorite store ever. Everyone knows me in my neighborhood, Trader Joe's Market. I love, love Trader Joe's. Oh, Trader Joe's. I oh my goodness, I love them. Shout out to the Biltmore Trader Joe's. But a woman was in line and she turned around and looked. And, you know, we have our masks on. So her <laughs> eyes went big and I saw her looking at something. So I turned around because I'm like, this, what is going on behind me? Then I realized she's looking at my shirt. And I will be honest with you, even, what is this, November, six months ago? Yes, six months ago, I would have felt so embarrassed. I would have probably come straight in the house and taken that shirt off and threw it in the way, way back of my closet if I didn't throw it away. Now, a shirt that I bought because as soon as I saw it, I said, hey, that's me. <laughs> like, I love this shirt. It makes me happy. So I wear what I want. And, and as I told that wonderful, wonderful little old lady in Trader Joe's, if this is too much for you to take in, then please feel free to avert your gaze. Like, I couldn't even believe I said that. Oh, wow. Like, if you don't like looking at all of this chocolate, this is too much hot <laughs> chocolate for you, then, then please, by all means, turn around and focus on your scanned groceries or whatever, you know? So <laughs> my personal style is beginning to reflect the freedom that I feel emotionally. So, mm -hmm. And it was off the shoulder, too. It's one of those off the shoulder shirts. Oh. So shoulder makes everything just, ooh, you know, like sassy when you got a little shoulder showing. So, <laughs> so I went shoulders out and thighs <laughs> extra thunderous to vote <laughs> this year. Feast your eyes on this. <laughs> April, that paints a glorious picture. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, properly glorious. And now for a theme that crops up with several guests, something that's been at the heart of human civilization for thousands of years, and that is storytelling. I ask novelist Tracy Chevalier what the most essential ingredient is in storytelling. How do you keep your readers engaged and committed to reading to the end? Wow, it's a, it's a good question. And I think if we writers all knew the answer to that, we would all write bestsellers every time. Girl with a Pearl Earring came out over 20 years ago. And when it first had its success, I had this tendency to go, oh, little old me, it was just an accident. And it's Vermeer, the painter who painted the painting. I'm just lucky that I'm riding on his coattails and took me years to actually get to the point where I could say, yeah, actually I wrote a good book. And that's why the book has been successful. It's not just that it has an amazing painting on the cover, but I think it's given me time to think about what works in that novel that has set it apart from other books, from my other books, from other people's. And I think what it is, it's a marriage of a good story and the way it's told. So it's what you say and the way you say it. And the two of them intertwine to make the book more than the sum of its parts. So when I first decided to write the book, on the day I started research, 
I found out I was pregnant and I was going to give birth like eight months later. So it forced me to make some decisions about how I was going to tell the story. I thought, okay, I don't have much time. So it's going to be straightforward, short, one point of view, and I'm going to write it in a spare way and focused way, the way Vermeer paints his paintings. So those decisions meant that the words on the page and the sentences, the way they're structured, and the images I use are all quite deliberately pushing along the story that I chose to tell. And the two of them support each other, make each other more than the sum of their parts. And that doesn't happen that much in books. So I think that that is really what I'm always aiming to do. I'm not sure I've done it with all of my other novels, but I know what I'm aiming. And that's what good storytelling is, what you say and the way you say it. And I think it's a lesson that actually can be applied to a lot of things. It can be applied to what you wear, to how you go about in the world, to your job. It's not just about what you do, but how you do it. So it's a lesson that I feel like I've learned over a long period of time. Music is also about telling a story. Conductor and harpsichordist Stephen Devine describes taking an audience on a journey. We, we've got the potential to really take an audience on a journey. Uh, and audiences are so central to what we do and, and that is the main thing I've learned I've actually just come to the entire conclusion of my entire lockdown is that my audiences are are crucial the first time back out last month with a live audience was overwhelming and it made me realize that all these recorded concerts we've done and all that sort of thing they're great and they're artistically fun and challenging and rewarding to a degree but there's nothing like watching an audience respond and relaxing and listening to you and, and coming with you on that journey. I think you said, you know, about the telling the story through the concert. I think that is the best way of keeping an audience, if, if they feel safe there, that they're going to be taken almost by the hand through it and you can do anything you want. You can you can laugh, you can cry between movements, you can applaud, you can do anything. We'll just take you through it. We'll just give you a really nice evening of great music. So that might be just talking from the stage, it might be creating something beforehand. I know that there's talk now about engaging in augmented reality so that people can hold up a phone. Um, I've been part of a couple of trials, hold up a phone at an, an instrument in the concert and the phone will recognise who it's pointing at and look at it and either describe the instrument, you know, what's that funny instrument? What's that funny clattery harpsichordy sound? Oh God, it's the harpsichord, you know. Um, what's this piece? What's going on in this piece at this point? The uh, Mahler Chamber Orchestra tried something last year with Mozart, the Mozart Symphony, with iPads and boxes and things, you know, can I point at this instrument? Now move it to the clarinet to see what happens here, you know. That, that sort of thing is great because it, it opens up a world for somebody who, who may not have ever done anything like that before. Well, hello. Can I just say thank you? Thank you for listening. And if you're enjoying the show, it would mean the world to me if you'd rate and review also in pink. I'll make it super easy for you, and you can even win a prize. Submit your review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts for a chance to win a 20 minute one to one virtual coaching session with me. Pick my brain about life, KonMari, or style. I'll announce the monthly winner on each Ask Alexandria episode, 
So be sure to listen out to see if your review gets picked. All you need to do is go to ratethispodcast.com slash also in pink and rate and review the show. Want tips on how to win? Write something genuine. Be thoughtful and let your personality shine through. Bonus points for a dash of charm. And for your weekly dose of podcast joy, subscribe to Also in Pink so you never miss a show. Thank you so much. You really are a star. And now for some style talk. Style and color. Tracy Chevalier starts us off with some of her personal style rules. You know, I'm 57 and I have been through many different phases of my life in terms of what I wear, what makeup I wear, how much I wear, how little I wear, whether I'm appearing for a public event, whether I'm appearing on television, all of that stuff. And I know what works for me. I suddenly started realizing I have rules. So 95% of the time wear black shoes because I just think color looks stupid on my feet. <laughs> and I have big feet. I'm a size 42, so it's limited. Most uh, brands just go up to 41. So if I go into a shoe shop, everybody else can try on anything. And I can try on about 5% of the stuff. I tend to wear a lot of black, like I wear black trousers or skirt, black shoes, often a black jacket, but the color comes on the chest with blouses or tops or with accessories, with scarves, with earrings. And I'm very curious about having the colors done. It's funny because you've talked about having your colors done in your podcast before. And I always thought of it as a kind of, it was a, it was a really big thing in the 1980s and people draped scarves <laughs> over and there was something yeah. that seemed slightly naff about it. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of relieved to say that you said in a podcast earlier that you were a little skeptical about it too, because I was totally skeptical. But as you and the director from the Camden Arts Center in your previous podcast said, it's obvious when you think about it that putting two colors together would affect the two colors. If you're interested in color, of course, color is going to make a difference. So I'm really curious to try that. I asked graphic designer Sarah Sansom how her personal style has changed over the years. Yeah, definitely went through a few phases. I grew up having very long hair as a child and I got all cut off when I was about 12 or 13 and would tend to get mistaken for a boy. So that that brought on my pink phase. And then I grew up a bit and went into a goth phase. This was the 80s, early 90s. And then went to college and grew out of that. So there have been a lot of different phases. Now I really look to like bright colors and, and things to be really cheerful and kind of uplifting. And speaking of color, I saw you in London just after I did my personal styling course and learned about seasonal color analysis. And I know that you have your own paper fan, your color palette, to take around with you. So has knowing your colors influenced the way you've thought about fashion or clothes or, yeah, your style? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been not thinking about like what's in fashion, but more what works for me. So that's definitely changed that and thinking about like 
you know, okay, in autumn, we don't all have to wear brown because we're not all awesome people. Um, so I think that's kind of helped relieve me of some of that pressure to wear the same thing everything else is wearing. So absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's persuaded me to try some things that I wouldn't have um, before, or maybe I'd be like, oh, I'm not sure if I like that color, but then you see how it looks on you. That's a little bit different. Yeah. So totally. That's been a great uh, revelation. Oh, excellent. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, certainly your your lovely spring palette goes with those bright, cheerful colors, which I know you photograph in your street art. So yeah, do you feel you're becoming more in line yourself with your street art photos now in terms of color anyway? Yes. So yeah, there's definitely a thread there. It's becoming one with the art. Yes, something higher level. What's your favorite article of clothing or accessory in your current wardrobe? I have a Marameco's kind of like a stretchy tunic. They have that trademark, like big flower from I think Sweden in the 60s. So it has big black and white flowers, which is good to pull out every now and then when I need something cheerful. Generally, I go to color rather than pattern. Um, so it's definitely outside my like comfort zone or my usual kind of go-tos. But I think, yeah, like sometimes when it's just been a really long week or there's been a lot happening, uh, yeah, it's great to just say, okay, sod it, I'm going to wear giant flowers and not care. And Stephen Devine talks about concert wear for Art of Moog, an ensemble that plays 21st century Bach on synthesizers. It's really simple. It involves very sort of cool black t-shirts and jeans and a very simple, clean coloured wash for the whole thing. We've actually invested in a, a bit of lighting for ourselves as well because we kind of know now what we want it to look like. That sort of thing just comes from experience, as you said. So it's a clean thing, but it's a kind of good-looking thing. I think that was the, we, we spent a lot of time, even worrying about how the cables are going to be gathered, because there's an awful lot of wiring in something like that, as you can imagine. Physiotherapist Susan Harper Clark surprises herself by giving some style advice. I ask her what her favourite article of clothing or accessory is in her current wardrobe. Oh, jean shorts, and I've got them on now. You can dress them up, you can dress them down. It's mainly been dressing down for me. You can wear them with wedges, with trainers, with heels, with flip-flops. Jean shorts are my absolute go-to fashion accessory item. Brilliant, and I bet you didn't think you'd be giving fashion advice in this uh, chat. (laughs) Not at all. I'm the least fashion-forward person ever, but jean shorts you need in your wardrobe. I'm saying this now, get some jean shorts. (laughs) And they never wear out as well, which is even better. Oh, exactly. Sustainable as well. Sustainable fashion. Absolutely. Actually, that's one thing. I've had a big clear out, thanks to you, of my wardrobe. So I've massively honed down my wardrobe. I've got now one very small wardrobe space and two shelves, all in boxes. Amazing. And so you are fully aware of what you have and it's all presumably stuff that you enjoy wearing. It is. And it's all coloured. I've got my pants in one box. I have my socks in another box. I have my t-shirts and my vest tops or whatever I've got all neatly folded. And I have all my winter gear, which is all packed up in the drawer under my bed, ready to come out when it's rubbish weather. Wow. Truly impressed. All thanks to you. <laughs> I'm being a lot more mindful about my what I buy now. I don't want to have a big cluttered 
lifestyle wardrobe because I don't need it because I don't really have a cluttered life at the moment. And personal stylist Carrie Cordero talks about the benefit of having a personal stylist in your life. When you have a stylist in your life, you have somebody who has an artistic eye, who has your best interests at heart, and who wants you to look beautiful and feel irresistible in your clothes. When you have a personal stylist who's creating outfits for you, you know, your skin is your body's most intimate place. When when you have a stylist who's there making sure that the textures and the colors and the fit are of you and perfect for you and are beautiful for you, there's just a, a magic that happens in your life. You get to walk into the world feeling irresistible, confident, optimistic. Oh, I love that. Walking into the world feeling irresistible. Who wouldn't want that, right? Um, my two words are irresistible and fascinating. Personal style is about making a choice. And I think choices are very powerful, not just in the world, but within you. If you made a choice, you have made a difference in your own life. So even if it's just a choice of the color of socks or whether to wear silver or gold or to go to a vintage store and rifle through clothes until you find a piece that's inexpensive and in a color that really, really just turns you on and makes you feel good and makes you ready to go into your day, you can always do something to choose to wear what you love. Tracy Chevalier and Stephen Devine talk about the importance of an audience. I think one of the things you have to crack early on is that you're writing for other people, not just for yourself. And you don't really know whether a book or a story works until somebody else reads it. So I would say get yourself an audience pretty early. If that means taking a course, it doesn't have to be an MA in creative writing like what I did. You know, you could just get a group of like-minded people together who are all writing and share writing with each other and do constructive criticism with each other. So it's not just like, oh, that's a nice story. You say, you know, that part works well. I think you could work on this a bit more. It gives you deadlines. It gives you a built-in critical audience. And those are things you're gonna need as you're going forward into the publishing world, which is all about audience. And it's all about what works and doesn't work. And in a performance context, it's amazing how even if the audience is not very loud, You can still feel the intensity of people listening and being engaged in what you're doing. That is exactly it, yeah. The feeling of the audience rather than the sound of the audience. There is that feeling that something invisible is connecting you and it's absolutely intangible. But when you've got the audience, or they've got you, well, it's the best drug in the world, as as I think you would respond to as well, having seen you perform those gorgeous viola moments and those Haydn symphonies, for example. You know, I've seen that look on everybody's face, but yours particularly, Aww. you know, that's that's what it is. And I think it's, uh, the more I analyse it, I, I don't know the answer, but I, I think the more I analyse it, I wonder whether it is down to this fact that you prepare for something, you create something, and the performance marks a boundary that it's kind of come to an end that you can put it back in the box, ready to bring out again for another thing. But with recording, you sort of there's no end to it because then you've got all the sort of editing and, and sort of stuff. And then 
you're never quite sure when to let go with recordings. I've personally found, you know, is this good enough? How good is it? And you try and get a second pair of ears in to sort of mediate. It's a very unsatisfying process. Whereas with a performance, it's done. There's nothing you can do about it. Was it good? Yeah. Was it bad? Probably. But it doesn't matter. On to the next thing. There's certainly a lot of music-related jokes, especially about viola players. It might be pretty niche humour, but Google viola jokes if you're curious. So, I asked Stephen Devine if there's a joke he'd like to tell. Can I tell my parrot joke? Is that alright? Please, please tell your parrot joke. So, there's a... <laughs> this, this man's looking for a birthday present for his wife. And he goes into a pet shop and he sees that, that there's this parrot for £200. And he says... That's a very expensive parrot, but it's great. So, oh, this parrot, it's amazing, this parrot. It's so good. It can sing any aria from any opera. You just name it and the bird can sing any aria. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh, I've got to have this parrot. My wife loves opera. It sounds wonderful. So, oh, but before you do that, I've got a parrot over here. It's 500 pounds. <gasps> but how can it be better than this 200 pound parrot? And he said, well, this parrot can sing complete operas, all the voices, everything. You name the opera, this parrot can sing all the opera. <laughs> Just incredible. It's brilliant. I mean, there's nothing he doesn't know. Well, so I've got fine gets in his checkbook looking for his, yeah, 500 pounds, oh, I've got to have it. Oh, oh, hang on though. There is this other parrot. He said, well, how can any parrot be better than that? And he said, well, uh, and, he said, and, and uh, he said, it's very expensive though. It's 10,000 pounds, this parrot. He said, what? No, that's crazy. How can, you know, how can it be more than the 500 pounds? What, what can it possibly do? He said, what does this parrot do? And this guy says, well, I've got no idea what this parrot can do, but the other two parrots call it maestro. That was the punchline. <laughs> that didn't go down too well, did it? <laughs> I just had a delayed reaction. <laughs> slow, slow burn yeah. of that one. Yeah, that, that might not make the edit. I don't think I've laughed that hard on a podcast episode yet. So. Yeah. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Ah, oh, Stephen, gotta love that parrot joke. So, moving on to creative outlets and making things. Tracy Chevalier loves to make things. I like to do the things my characters do so that I can write about them with some sort of authority. But the other thing is, I love making stuff because it uses a different part of my brain from what I normally do use. So normally I'm very verbal, obviously, because I talk a lot, I read a lot, I write a lot. It's all about the words. Making a quilt is not about words. It's visual and it's mechanical and it's three-dimensional and it's physical. It's not all in my mind and I love that about it. When the lockdown happened in March, it was a very difficult time, I think, for everybody in different ways. But I found one of the most effective things I did for my own self-care was to start a quilt. And I started working on that. It just gave me solace at night when it was so grim in April. I think April was a really difficult month in the UK. There was a lot of death. There were a lot of sirens around us. We live between two hospitals that both had big COVID wards. And so you're always hearing sirens. and. It was all a bit grim, and I would sit at night and listen to classical music, and I would just sit on the sofa making this quilt, and it was just beautiful colors developing in my hands, and that really helped a lot. One of the reasons I like doing quilting and other things is that I don't actually have to be good at it. 
You know, I'm a writer who's expected to write good novels now. But nobody expects me to make a good quilt now. And it's, <laughs> ah, the pressure is off. <laughs> Thank you. I could just be good enough. I can be good enough. But that doesn't matter because um, I'm doing it for the process as much as anything else. And just taking that pressure off of having to be good is also mentally soothing. Sarah sends some overseas creative processes in her work, designing packaging for food and drink brands. She talks about creative problem solving. Part of my job is doing brainstorming, which is you know, also part of leading a team on a project. So sometimes it's just being confident enough to get that idea out there. Uh, and sometimes it's just asking somebody else, hey, what do you think of this? Because you can get stuck going round and round in circles in your own mind. And a lot of creative problem solving is just about putting yourself in somebody else's shoes or even just telling somebody a problem that then they can break down because they don't have the same filters or they can give you a better perspective. Like, oh, hey, why don't you do this? So some of that sharing is really important. I think the nicest thing about working with other people is they can really surprise you with having a different outlook or a different approach to it. So that can be really fun. Uh, and I think you have to welcome that a little bit. Like there will be some diversity and people's ideas aren't going to be the same as yours. And that's the point of working in a team. <laughs> and for people who mostly work by themselves, do you think it's good to really get that outside input? I think it is, yeah. I think sometimes it just helps spur you and think about it differently to show it to somebody. Um, like you know, sketching things when I was growing up, I just doodle a lot of typography and I'd show it to my mom. She'd be like, well, what does it say? And we're like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> like I've made it so artistic that you can't actually read the word, which is the point of lettering. I think if you're working on your own, I think there are a lot of resources out there now to get stimulation in terms of like getting you through a hump or just seeing how somebody else works. So there are so many online classes, especially now, that those have been really great. And did you know ADHD can be a design superpower? Here's my chat with Carrie Cordero. Yeah, something I found fascinating that came up in one of our recent chats, this was in a design context, and you mentioned to me that you have ADHD. And I think we were looking at Apple Podcasts together, and you were saying that it felt like there was just too much information to easily understand the interface and you made me realize how valuable it is to have someone with something like ADHD in the design world because design at its best should be simple and instantly understandable. You're in very good company since there are famous entrepreneurs with ADHD like Richard Branson and the founder of IKEA and studies have shown that people with ADHD are three times more likely to own their own business, which I think is fascinating. Are you aware of any of that? I think I knew about Richard Branson. I didn't know that ADHD people are attracted to entrepreneurialism. That's fabulous. I also read somewhere that entrepreneurship fits perfectly with the ADHDers' need for stimulation and a willingness to take risks as well. So how do you feel ADHD has helped you in your life as an entrepreneur? How has it helped you with your business? Oh my goodness. Oh, so much. Really, really has. So as an ADHDer is what I call myself. <laughs> so when you grow up with ADHD pre-medication, right now, lots of people take medication. So 
I don't know how that's going to affect them as they turn into adults. My son has ADHD also, and he takes the medication. I did not. And you realize once you become a little more self-aware that you have to do things many times. I know I have to do things three times before I am capable of doing them in public. I work extremely hard to get anything done. So ADHD people have incredible work ethics because they have to. You can spend a lot of time failing or um, embarrassed because people don't understand uh, your brain is working differently and you're going to get there, but you're not going to get there in their time frame or according to their methods. Your brain works differently. So ADHDers work very hard, which of course is part of being an entrepreneur. We have to always look for alternative solutions, and that's absolutely part of having your own business. So we're very good at looking for another way to do something. We love to work whenever we want, and we don't like to be told what to do. So I would venture to say that we're not the easiest people to work with, so we're really good working alone. (laughs) I imagine going back to work now and thinking, I don't want to work with anybody else. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. And nobody wants to tell me what to do either. (laughs) I think that ADHD is not really understood. I think part of it is being a very creative thinker. Like we think in circles, I say. We don't think line by line. So I think there's a vast untapped well of creativity in the ADHD world that the regular world could be studying, taking advantage of, getting into. So has the pandemic provided an opportunity for you to slow down and take stock? Susan Harper-Clark and Sarah Sansom have both enjoyed a slower pace of life. I've definitely recognised in this last five months the need to slow down and take stock a bit more. I tend to be a bit of a manic kind of person. I tend to be on the go all the time. But now that we've actually had to slow down, And I think for me, relinquishing a little bit of responsibility has been quite good. Like I'm used to kind of micromanaging everything. Everything's been timed. It's getting to school. It's getting to work. It's picking up from school. It's getting to swimming lessons. And I haven't had that. Initially in lockdown, I was trying to plan every single minute of the day. And actually, I just, you know, I haven't had to do that. And it's been really interesting for me because actually my kids have been great. They've been just getting on with stuff. There have been times where it's been totally horrific. But actually, I would say 80% of the time, they've just got on with stuff without me really saying. So actually, it's given me the opportunity to step back and go, do you know what? They can just get on with it themselves. And actually, that has then freed up my headspace a bit. Yeah, so slowing down, I would say, and and doing stuff that makes you feel happy is going to be my big take forward as opposed to doing stuff that you think is important. I've enjoyed going a lot slower and not doing so much. And then, you know, thinking back to the time before all of this, I just realised how much I was doing, like kind of multitasking or trying to do more than one thing at once or just trying to do a lot. So whether it was getting coffee and doing an Instagram post while I'm walking down the street on a work break or just going to a lot of artist shows to support them even if it was people I didn't know very well so I think just doing too much so it's definitely been nice slowing down doing more one thing at a time and really thinking about what you want to do and having a bit more purpose to that a bit more strategy 
So would you say you have a daily habit or ritual that brings you joy, aside from running maybe? Do you know what? In in lockdown, my eldest son, Tom, has come up with a morning hug. We always start our day, or try to, with a morning hug, regardless. And actually, it's amazing what that does. It completely sets you up for the day. Stop everything. Everyone have a morning hug, big squeeze, get on with the day. And do you know what? It's amazing what that can do. I'm going to keep that going forward. Morning hug, everyone. A uh, bit like pile on. So we're definitely going to keep that going forward. Or even a self-hug if you're by yourself. A bit of a self-squeeze sets off your natural endorphins. Well, with the new year fast approaching, it's that time. Time to consider our goals, hopes and dreams for 2021. As you consider your New Year's resolutions, Susan Harper-Clark suggests how we can all get more active. I would say just move is the best thing that I can advise people. So what I mean by that is a lot of people, if they come to me as a physio, they go, I need to do a sport. You don't have to do a sport. All you have to do is move. If you get off your sofa, that's moving. So actually, anything that involves moving is good. When you're moving, you have to enjoy moving. So whether that's moving rhythmically in a swimming pool or moving out for a walk or just having a dance with your friends in the kitchen, that is moving. And I think anything that we can do to encourage people getting off their bums is a good thing. Don't just go, I I should really start running. If you don't enjoy running, you need to find something that you know that you're going to make habit. You need to find something that you can go out and enjoy. So I think give it a go. But you need to also give something a go for a relatively long period of time, like four to six weeks, because actually sometimes it does take time to build up strength, endurance, tolerance, enjoyment of something. So I think following a plan, following some kind of strategy to get to your goal is really important. If you say, right, well, I want to be able to run 5K. Well, that's quite a long term goal. So if you make short term goals leading up to that, then it's a really good way of doing it. Breaking down a long term goal, especially physical goals or activity related goals into smaller manageable sections will always mean that you succeed. So you never lose that motivation. You always get that sense of satisfaction once you've done it. There's no point in doing something if you don't feel good afterwards. And now you'll hear everyone answer that question I ask at the end of each show. April starts us off. And finally, what do you love most about life? Wow. (laughs) I am gobsmacked over here. What I love most about life is having a sound mind. I spent so many years behaving in a way, living life in a way, failing to live in a way as a servant of my emotions, my insecurities, my feelings of inadequacy, any hurt, any pain. I just heaped it all on it can truly cause a lot of doubt and uncertainty. And I no longer have that. I have the power that I am what's valuable. So I'm most thankful for having, having a clear and a sound mind.
I'm just constantly amazed that life exists. I know it sounds strange, but I pinch myself every day, especially when I'm looking at a beautiful blue sky or sunlight or a cat. The fact that we exist is truly remarkable. And I don't think that we appreciate that enough. So I am in awe of life itself, and I want to experience it as much as I can. Just everything, everything that changes. And it's nice that there's always a balance, you know, that, that this didn't go terribly well today, but it might go better tomorrow, and this might change, and this might change, and this, but this is great, you know, this is all that. The fact there's no stasis. I love chocolate. I love sleeping. <laughs> I love beautiful clothes. <laughs> I love my friends. I love to laugh. Health and family, really, very simple. I think as long as everyone's going forward and being happy, that's what I love. That's what I strive to be. I want my kids to be happy and confident and outgoing and and love being interested, basically. So yeah, I think very simple, family. Ooh, just end on a small question, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I like to make it easy for you. I enjoy people's creativity, whether it's just an ordinary person getting over a problem in a creative way, or you know, just seeing a lot of the work artists put out there. You know, it's not necessarily to make a living or make money, but it's to express themselves or to support a cause, or you know, really looking for you know some kind of social change. So I think a lot, especially over the last few months, is just how people really want to do better and and make this a, a better place. Well, I hope you enjoyed this roundup episode. So here's some key takeaways from the show today. Why not start your day with a power statement? What would you say? What does it mean to be unapologetically you? Storytelling is part of our lives in so many ways. And according to Tracy Chevalier, good storytelling is what you say and the way you say it. It's a concept you can apply to all areas of your life, to what you wear, to how you show up in the world, to your job. It's not just about what you do, but how you do it. And style is all about confidence. Whether you wear a statement tee, jean shorts, or rock a bright color palette, dare to be yourself. Dare to be the person you want to be. Just because everyone else wears brown in autumn or black in winter, that doesn't mean you have to. Make your own style waves. Or, like Sarah Sansom, just say, sod it, I'm going to wear giant flowers and not care. After all, personal style is all about making a choice, and you can always choose to wear what you love. Here's wishing you a very happy new year. May yours be filled with all kinds of joy. Stay safe, and see you in 2021. That's our show then. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Alexandria and this is Also in Pink, the podcast all about lifestyle design. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to Also in Pink wherever you get your podcasts. And the absolute best way to show your support is to write a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. This really helps more than anything to promote the show. And of course, tell all your friends. 
Thank you so much for your support. Until next time, have a wonderful week. Redefine what's possible and create your ideal life.